Hello and welcome to a Veterans Drink of Vodka production of Article 15. Here at Article 15, we are attempting to bring both awareness and an end to 22 veterans committing suicide every day. We speak to everyday veterans with everyday issues for veterans acclimating back into civilian life. Today we have Alex Thompson, who served in the United States Navy from 1996 to 2000. Alex is originally from Philadelphia and now is in Missouri. He is working for the corporate side of O'Reilly's Auto Parts. This is not a plug. This is where he works. Hello, Alex, and welcome to Article 15. What's up, Razzle? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, brother. Of course, man. Proud to have you here, man. We've known each other, I'd say, for at least over a decade, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. It would have been in the early 2000s. Oh, the good times. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Uh, So originally from Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And uh, you moved around quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I lived in and around Philly. I grew up just outside of Philadelphia and grew up moving sort of around my stepdad and mom had random jobs here and there and get kicked out of one house and move into another but yeah, as a kid, and then once I went to college, I, that's when I really started to move around, joined the Navy, spent a lot of time in the Middle East, a lot of time all over in Chicago, as you know, that's where we met. Yeah, who yeah, Navy, who yeah, Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I didn't know a lot of the things about you. So like we said, we met early 2000s. Yeah. And we, we were actually just talking about it. I felt like a total ass. When I finally read your book, this is a great time for our plug. Uh, <laughs> Alex Thompson has a book called I'll Go. So say somebody comes up to you and say, hey, man, we're going to be going to the club tonight. You, you want to go? I'll go. That's what it's called by doctor. <laughs> not that kind of doctor, as he likes to put it. Yeah. Uh, Alex Thompson. I learned so much more about you, brother, that I feel like a total goomba from the first time that we got to meet because our mutual friend introduced us and he had just told me that you were in the Navy and that's all that I had. And as my job in the Navy, as we know, as a bosun mate, we were kind of a salty, really just grumpy bunch. Yeah. And so I feel like a total idiot after reading this book. And if anybody listening gets a chance, please, Amazon, I'll go by Alex Thompson. You will not regret it. That's a pretty it. good plug. Thank you. <laughs> I, dude, I was completely blown away by all of it. From the beginning to the end, it took me, and I'm a little illiterate. I have a leaning disability, as we found out, (laughs) because I missed learning disability. I read the book in three days, and it is a pretty, it's an amazing story. If you would love to give us a quick summary, otherwise I'll be doing the book report. Yeah, you know, let me talk about, you know, what you said when we first met and, you know, our friend Timmy introduced this, you know, I find that I do something I think a lot of veterans do. So on the one hand, I grew up in a pretty rough 
household, very violent, abusive, and all of that, right? But also very sort of blue collar working class where it was like, if you're not working hard, then it does everything else doesn't matter, you know? And at the same time, I've done a lot of badass shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'll yeah, that, my friend. <laughs> and, but but when people meet me, I most people who know me don't know that I have a PhD, for example, because it's like I grew up in that sort of working class attitude where it's like, well, yeah, it's a PhD, but I mean, really, what's it worth? <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is which is ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. And so I I I tend to it's not necessarily just keeping it to myself. It's not even necessarily being private. It's just, there are things to me that matter in this world, you know? And obviously I'm really proud of having a PhD. I'm really proud of the other accomplishments that I've had in my life. But there, to me, there are other things that are more important. I want people to know me as someone who's caring and compassionate and all that kind of stuff, you know? You definitely portray that, my friend. I sure hope so. <laughs> I try when <laughs> I'm not being an asshole, I guess. <laughs> you're you, yeah, you're so, never like you never like the bad asshole. You know right. that guy. You're that. Oh shit! Alex oh, is coming out. We don't know what's gonna <laughs> well. What's gonna you're be happening here? But yeah, you know. So I wrote this book. It's called I'll Go, as you mentioned. And the reason I wrote it was because. So I was in the Navy for four years. I got out of the Navy. Almost a large reason was to go to graduates. I really wanted to study international relations and languages. I've been a nerd all my life. So <laughs> it felt about the right time. So I got out of the Navy. I went to graduate school. And then I started going to the Middle East. And I spent almost 15 years back and forth in the Middle East. The first part of my time, I was by myself. I backpacked through Yemen and Syria. I lived in Egypt. I hung out with fundamentalists, right? I'm yeah. Roman Catholic. You know, after 9-11 happened, I was like, what the fuck is going on here, right? Like, wh- who are these Muslims? Who are these people who did this, you know? All of a sudden, the United States realized that there was a whole other part of the world. <laughs> There's other parts of the world out there, you know? And when 9-11 happened, I... You know, if you had said, where's the Middle East, I would have had no idea. Much less, yeah, much somewhere in the middle, I guess, near the east side. I don't know. You know, but much less like nowhere a place like Saudi Arabia or Yemen was. Like, no, Afghanistan, no idea. What is in Afghanistan? What is, (laughs) is what is a person, a place, or a thing? Is that by China? What's happening? I don't know. Is it another planet in the solar system? Right. You know, and so. When 9-11 happened, I was like, I was already in graduate school. And I was, you know, I just got out of the Navy. So I was studying like meditation and Buddhism. I was in Colorado and <laughs> Boulder. I had my Afro going. I was Real. Like sand- Real. Yeah, yeah. I was wearing sandals in the winter, you know what I mean? <laughs> I like went the total opposite direction. And then 9-11 happened. And it was like, I sort of got shaken and waking up. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing with your life, man? It's like, yeah, all right, okay. let's shift together here. So like immediately after 9-11 happened, I started learning Arabic and I started trying to teach myself. So we can go into the details, but I spent time in the Middle East by myself as a student living with fundamentalists. And then I started working, you know, became a contractor. And I spent six years or so back and forth to Fallujah, Afghanistan, Central and East Africa. And now this is this is early 2000. We're talking like 2003 time. So yeah, the first time I went to the Middle East was in 2003. So I was in uh, Cairo. I was outside of Cairo, actually, 
at a what we would call a madrasa <laughs> for these they were mostly uh, converts to fundamentalist islam and they were all um like either european or americans so for example when i lived there there was a guy who was from philadelphia like near where i grew up you wow. know and he was trying to figure out how to more of a fundamentalist muslim you know wow. so you know i lived with these people i took classes with them i studied in arabic nonstop i memorized the quran you know like i got totally immersed in the religion and not just sort of like islam but like fundamentalist islam like people who you know think it's okay to chop people's heads off and hands off and you know they don't shake hands with you if you're not a muslim and you know all like all the really specific rules around being a fundamentalist because I was like, I have to figure this out. I have to figure out what's going on. Well, yeah, I read in the book, you were, you were like two years in of trying to study Arabic. And it was like, this is not working. <laughs> yeah, like, just, yeah. And then what do you say? I'll go. I'll go. That was leave for Cairo. And it was just like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah. No, that, we that didn't. Was... <laughs> you didn't do that. Yeah. That this was is why we don't go out. <laughs> this is why this is many why people don't, don't go out with me, right? Right. So yeah, it was 2003. So 2001 ha or 9/11 happens. I immediately start studying Arabic. I take a summer intensive, so I do a year's worth of Arabic in a summer. I go back to school in the fall, and I'm like, this is not. I'm not learning Arabic. Like I can't read the newspaper. I can't watch the news. I can't talk to people. And so I was like, fuck this. I'm going to, I'm going to the Middle East. And people were like, what are you talking about? I was like, I'm going. And they're like, well, where are you going to go? And I'm like, I don't know. So <laughs> nah, we'll figure it out. What's your plan <laughs> to go to the Middle East? Don't have a plan. <laughs> right. And so I literally hop online. I find a, uh, this little, like a website no like address or anything it's like hey if you want to study arabic and you're like a hardcore muslim then come study with us i was like well i'm not a hardcore muslim but i want to study with you they're like all right it's going to cost you this much money i was like all right let's go and you know so it's, you, it's, you wound up heading into Fallujah and kandahar yep. afghanistan yep. you you saw from what i understand you spent most time outside the wire more time yeah. than most military personnel and yeah. you weren't even in the military anymore yeah, you know, that was the good thing. So as a student, so from 2000, let's just say 2001 until 2008, I was back and forth to the Middle East. You know, like I said, I backpacked through Yemen. I would just seek out fundamentalists to try to, under, you know, like I learned how to pray as a Muslim. I memorized parts of the Quran. I learned all, you know, like there's all sorts of things around theology and about practice and how you act and behave and all that. And so by the time I was in Fallujah in 2008, I was able to sit and talk with, uh, you know, the imams, you know, the religious leaders and talk to them about That's the Quran amazing. and, and like recite it off the top of my head. And, you know, there's, like I said, there's just little things that you do, like whether you reach out and shake someone's hand or not, or how you approach them or talk to them or use certain imagery in a conversation. They're like, Oh shit, you, you know, you that? know what you're doing. You get that? Yeah. And so it it created just a once in a lifetime opportunity for me to, in my own small way, make a difference. You know, that's that's amazing, man. So I don't want to give any parts of the books away or anything. That's or okay. The book, the, the book, that's the okay. book. 
away. You had some pretty rough times, uh, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think, you know, when I decided to go to Iraq, that was my first time um, after I got out of the Navy to go work with the military. Um, I went there very idealistic and very naive. You know, I remember telling friends, you know, early after I got there, I said, you know, well, if I, if I die and I don't come home, this is a conversation I'm having with my friends back at home, you know, I'm like, if I die and I don't come home, just know that I died happy, you know? And, and it was just like this complete, like I said, completely idealistic and also naive way of thinking that I was going to change the world. And I was doing the exact thing that I wanted to be doing. That's mad. That's just, it's, uh, you're a mad person. You're a mad <laughs> you know, the, you know, this is a grim way to say it, but it is what I feel. It would probably have been easier to die, right? Like I said, it's a very dark thing to say, but it probably would have been easier to die than to lose people that I know and care about. You know, carrying yeah. that burden is, it's never easy. You know, it would does get easier. I mean, the survivor, would you consider that kind of a survivor's guilt kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, and I write about this in the book. So when I was in Iraq, I lost someone who was very close to me. Well, I lost a number of people, but there was someone who was uh, pretty close to me. You know, when you are in the midst of it, it's easier. It's not easy, but it's easier to put your head down and go back into the fight. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, you just sort of block everything out. Cause you're like, yeah. cause you can't, you have an excuse to not, to not heal and process. Right. <laughs> And it wasn't until, I mean, I, I dealt with that loss and those losses uh, a lot, but it wasn't until probably about six years later that I, I was able to recognize it as survivor's guilt, you know? I, and I, I read about it in the book about how I was finishing my dissertation. I mean, I was writing about early Islamic history, very academic, like, you know, arcane type stuff. And... I had to write my dedication for my dissertation. And I was like, I'm not writing a dedication. I don't care about that kind of stuff. Doesn't matter to me. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I, I was thinking about this person and I just started typing and in there, like I, I didn't plan it. I didn't think about it, but I used the word survivor as I was thinking about what to write about her. And that's when I knew that it's survivor's guilt. You know, it's amazing, man. Yeah. So being able to write that out and to actually express those feelings and put it down, so to speak, on paper. Yeah. Know, you're typing it out, I'm sure. Yeah, but yeah. And also, just... yeah, Go to ahead. get it out. You know, it's like we have all that. It obviously, was in my subconscious, right? Obviously, I was processing it, but hadn't yet been able to verbalize or express it, you know? And a lot of times, veterans I, I was a fireman and an emt and you know we feel like we don't need to like we're like oh i'm a man i don't need to talk about this or i can handle it on my own or it's no big deal i can figure it out but that's one of the moments in my life where i realized i needed to get it out and it was kind of public i mean no one's ever going to read my dissertation it's like 370 pages of arabic but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but there's something public about it, right? There's something about putting it on the page. I mean, it is printed. It is in a library, right? Someone could open it, right? And getting that out in that in somewhat public way 
was also healthy for me to do. Yeah, to kind of a little bit of, of releasing a lot of that pressure that's been built up. It also, and I have found this with writing because I'm doing, I did that script. I don't know if I told you the script for the uh, the short film that I was doing. Yeah. Getting a lot of thoughts, at least on paper and organizing, actually physically seeing it and having it out there. You know, you 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 make a, well, my wife makes a, a honeydew list for me and <laughs> she'll tell me what needs to get done. And it's all jumbled up in my head. But when I actually tell her, like, hey, just write it down, I can knock out a list like nobody's yeah. business. It's like, okay, yeah. I know how to get this flow chart going. But when you just have it up in your head, it's yeah. completely unorganized. And one thing pops in your head, then it flies yeah. to another, it flies yeah. to another. Before you know it, you're, you're completely lost in your head. And there's another veteran that I know. He's a Marine Corps veteran. And we'll be talking with him in a different time. Uh, Moxie, he says, never go upstairs alone. And it, I mean, it, it mentally, you never want to be lost in your thoughts by yourself. Yeah. It can yeah, be and, a very dangerous place to be. It's, you know, this is one, you know, a lot of times we talk about the things we don't learn in school as you're coming up and, you know, good mental health practices, like self health practices. We don't learn that, you know? And so I, I think, especially as, you know, people like, hey, well, I'm a man. If you're in those environments and you're doing those things and you're like, I'm a man. And we think that because we're men, we can solve this by ourselves. It just takes brute strength, right? You just yeah. white knuckle it and bear it, and like get through it and take care of other people. And you just, you know, don't worry, you know, wor don't worry about you. You'll figure it out. But like you're saying, is there are there are techniques that we can use to yep. get ourselves on that path. And one of them is exactly what you're saying. Write things down. Not in your head, like not an idea, okay, what's one, two, three, but actually writing it down. Yeah. Because it allows us to disentangle all of the bright, shiny objects that are around us and allows us to stay laser focused on the things that we need to do to become more healthy. Yes, sir. Yeah, I definitely agree with that one. So when when you came back, and I know you kind of hung up your uh, your boots now with the contractor work and everything like that, traveling as much. Yeah. What have besides the writing? What else have you found to be a more health? We'll go with healthy yeah. uh, <laughs> tools that yeah. you have used to kind of, as you said, disentangled all these different feelings, emotions yeah. in your head. What, what have you been able to use to kind of help you out? I'll talk about, we were talking about techniques. I want to talk about one or maybe two techniques that I use. And then, and then I can talk about like actual things that I do. You know, yeah. one of the things, another technique that I've found is that uh, starting 2003 is when I first went to the Middle East. The last time I was in the Middle East was in 2014. So all that time I was back and forth. And then the two years prior I was studying. So, you know, you take that time and that's how much I was involved in the Middle East. Like I mentioned, I've lost people. I've been attacked. My house is, you know, in, in Afghanistan, for example, our house was attacked, uh, you know, all sorts of issues, shot, blown. I have not been shot, but shot at, blown up, you know, all this, the bad stuff that you see, right? What I found myself doing when, when I finally sort of stepped away from all of that was feeling bad for feeling sad, if I can say it that way. I was broken inside, yeah. right? Like literally broken inside. But that wasn't the only thing that was going on. I also felt ashamed that I felt broken. So on top of this pain that I had, which is understandable, <laughs> I was like, 
I'm a human being. When you face that kind of pain, you should feel pain, right? But on yeah. top of that, I felt weak. I was like, oh, I shouldn't feel bad. I shouldn't be upset. I shouldn't lose control of my emotions. I shouldn't be crying. I shouldn't have trouble building relationships. You know what I mean? And what I had, one of the first techniques I had to employ was to say, you are broken. Full stop. Accept yeah. it. You're a human being. You've experienced some really bad things and humans are going to react in a certain way. So be okay with not being okay. <laughs> and it's kind of a weird That's a way phrase to, I use a lot. It's okay yeah. not to be okay. Yeah. And so that was one of the most important things that I learned. And I think that's what really helped me sort of get started on the way. <clears throat> you know, that's the other good. thing, yeah. It's, you know, hard, it's a hard thing to recognize. It's a hard a thing of, to recognize. A lot of people won't recognize it. They, they, and it, it shows itself in different forms. A lot of the times it's anger. We, a lot as veterans or combat veterans or people who just have been in a situation just like yourself, we, we have in, in humanity, and it's been proven, the fight or flight technique. Yeah. And so when, when our training kicks in for that fight or flight, in the veteran status or the military status or the contractor yep. status, we, do not, we, we have been like trained to lose that flight technique. It's no longer a part of us anymore. And I've, I found this out. I had to like really do some soul searching. So you automatically are ready for that fight to get your hands, to get your hands dirty. And then coming home, you know, in the middle East, keeping your head on a swivel, that that's probably the best thing you can do is always be alert and what's going on in in your, uh, your area. But when you come home and, and you know, the gun smoked is clear, but the, 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 the training is still deep ingrained in you. So for me, you know, my son, God bless him, a four-year-old boy does exactly what four-year-old boys do. He likes to jump off of stuff and make loud noises and scream and all these different things. These are, and I hate the word trigger, but these are trigger points for me. When my son jumps off the the, the landing of the stairs and it winds up echoing through my house mm. like a mortar hit. So right away, my body just, okay, fight. And within less than a second, I have to recognize where I'm at, what's going on. And it drains you. Oh, it, yeah. it, it's, it physically and emotionally just drains the hell out of you. And you, you recognize that in your brain, like, Oh shit, no, don't do anything. Hold it back. And you're, you got that adrenaline pumped up. You're like, Oh, we got to fight. No, we're not fighting. I'm, what am I doing? What am I doing? And you're just angry. So I yell. I grew up in a yelling house to begin with. I don't know if you're you're familiar with the, yeah. uh, the Canaryville area, but uh, we grew up in yelling houses, and it's not okay for me to get that upset with a four year old boy being a four year old boy. And there was other yeah. trigger points for me, but that's what you're talking about is it, recognizing that and that emotional just dumpage that you have to do. It, it yeah. it's. Yeah emotionally, spiritually, just physically draining of you and to deal with that on your own day in, day out, not having, as we're talking now, these healthy tools, these coping mechanisms and thinking that, you know, just going numb is going to be the best way to be through life. And you can't live like that. Yeah. You know, it's it's, uh, interesting uh, because I told you I work for O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm in Kansas City. Uh, The headquarters in Springfield all this COVID stuff if we work remotely, right? 
So I was down there last week uh, for work. I was there for the whole week. Mm-hmm. And I walked out of my hotel room. And I wanted to describe this. And I want you to, I want people to hear this because it's, it's like an example of what you're saying. I got dressed. I opened the door. I turned the handle on the door. I opened the door and I walked out of the hotel room. For me, that is a miracle. And the reason is because normally for I don't know how long, I walk up to the hotel door, I look through the peephole, and I wait, and I look, I grab the handle, I open the door a little, I try to take as much of a scan as I can, I, you know, open the door, and then I look around, and I make sure there's no one there, and then I walk out, and I quickly close the door behind me, so that nobody can sneak in after I leave. Like, think about the mental stress that takes when I'm in Springfield, Missouri, there is no enemy, (laughs) there's no enemy. I was, it was uh, the first time I, I didn't realize it until I walked out of my hotel room and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I was like, I didn't <laughs> reflexively like cover my area make sure I wasn't being followed, make sure there wasn't somebody, you know what I mean? And it's like, just, yeah, like think about the mental energy it takes to constantly be doing that. I haven't been in the Middle East in six years. I haven't been in a combat zone in six years, you know? And it's like, uh, but it feels good, you know, when you when you realize that you've taken that next step. And it takes yeah. time, but it feels amazing, to be honest. Yeah, and I'm see I'm actually seeing a counselor for some of my PTSD stuff. And she's actually diagnosed me with something called hypervigilance. And I'm like, uh, I yeah. didn't even know that was a thing. So being a veteran, having five trips to the Middle East and being a police officer, she's like, Holy crap. Yeah. You have an overload going on, bro. And like, I, I pick up truck air brakes going off in a distance. I, I pick up all these different noises, all the stuff that's going on. You know, I still back to the wall when I sit in a restaurant, I still notice who's walking in, who's walking out, who's heading to the bathroom. However often they're going like all these different things that people yep. are not cognizant of everything going on when I'm like, wait a minute, you got, what happened to you? Why didn't you do this? Why are you not paying attention? How did you not see that? Like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, yeah. never mind. I've yeah. got this training here. But uh, yeah, that same stuff that you're talking about, the the CYA and making sure that you you got your six covered, <laughs> that, that does that that is hard for me to give up. And my my counselor, she's even said, like, have you ever tried to like not sit with your back against the wall at a restaurant? And I'm like. Who am I going to be with? Can I go with one of my military buddies or my cop buddies? So that I know that somebody else has your back (laughs) against the wall because it's not Uh, okay. And she's trying to bring me down. And I'm like, that makes me scared. Yeah. Because I'm not going to be prepared when something pops off. We go to the, we, we, uh, what was it? We had a birthday party for, I think it was my daughter's birthday party. I think she was only like turning five at the time. So it was about two years ago. We we take my my grocery getter, as I call it, the van. My bug out bag is in the van. It has change of clothes for like two days. It's got extra magazines, ammo, whatever other stuff that I'm going to need. And like one bag of MRE, some pr- protein bars and a couple of bottles of water. And she's like, what is that? That's my bug out bag. You're what? A bug out bag. What the f- is a bug out bag? I had to explain to her. We're in Orland at your daughter's birthday party. Orland being a suburb of Chicago. She's like, we're at Orland. And I was like, well, you never know. 
with all these things that are going on in the world. And like Antifa had just said that they were going to be in the area or something like that. So I was like, I'm not going in unprepared. So she, she thought I was crazy. It's one of those things. And so, you know, I think about in my experience, when I sort of walked away from the world I was living, you know, I had a security clearance. I had worked in and around the hill in in Washington DC worked with like generals Petraeus and McChrystal you know very closely you know had a PhD like there were all these things about me and about who I thought I was that I needed to to matter in a lot of ways you know so the fact that I could literally drop into the in the middle of a city in Yemen and survive speak the language wear the clothes you know talk the talk blend it you know what i mean like that was who i was right head on a swivel cover your six like all that kind of stuff that was who i was and then it all went i chose to walk away from it i almost said it went away but it it was not an accident it was a choice and i'll I'll talk about why but and so when i chose to walk away you know i remember coming back and having dinner with friends and people are like what are you looking at i was like what are you talking about they're like you're your head is not stopping. It's like, you're constantly, <laughs> I'm like, that's how you, that's how you live. That's what you do. That that's not weird. Right. That's just what people do. And they're like, people don't do no. that. I'm like, well, I do that. And then, but it, and it takes time. It takes years to be able to say, it's okay. If I, my head is not on a swivel in Springfield, Missouri, it's okay. Maybe shit will go down. Like even now I can barely say it without like, well, shit still might go down, you know, but, but it's okay. But the hard part is for us to, disentangle i'll use that word again disentangle the things we had to do to survive and the things we need to do to to live a real life and so Mm -hmm. for me in 2014 the reason i walked away is because i became suicidal essentially right i was living in bahrain i had been back and forth to the middle east since 03 and i always said it, it I was, you know, I had this sweet contracting gig. I was in Bahrain. I was working with the Marine Corps. I had great friends. I play rugby, playing rugby there. I had a great apartment, but I was the most depressed I've ever been in my life. Yeah. It's like I had everything that I thought I wanted, right? Like a cush. I'd just come back from places in Central and Eastern Africa, working with special forces, jumping in and out of countries that I didn't, sometimes I didn't even know what country I was. It's just like badass stuff, you know? And then I get this cush job. It felt like, oh yeah, you know, I'm sort of like relaxing, living the life, but I was so unhappy. I will not survive if I continue to live this life. I can't keep doing it. All that stress had finally hit me. And I really focused on a different kind of survival, like being healthy. Like how can I live a healthy life? So that's, that's really the, was the big turning point for me is I needed to figure out how to live a more healthy lifestyle. And that's one of the things, and I'm glad that you brought it up like that. People are saying that the mental health is not the big deal, but, and they're, they're like, I'm not going to go to a therapist because they're not going to be able to help me. They're not going to be able to, they have these different tools. They, they, it's not that they understand and know everything about what you're doing. It's that they're going to listen to you, tell your story and allow you without judgment to go through those range of emotions and get it out there. And they're documenting what you're talking about. Yeah. And then it's like saying when you, if, if, um, you know, somebody lost a limb or something like that, and they just said, no, no therapy for me. 
I'm going to yeah. figure that shit out. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, bro. They're going to help you because it's not going away. PTSD is not curable. It does not have a cure. What it do, what therapists do is help you live a healthy life, a long yeah. and happy and healthy life and how to understand what issues you might have, how to stay away from them yeah. and give you strong tools to try and deal with what might be going on. I am yeah. not, I'm not under medication or anything like that, but she has given me other over-the-counter healthy supplements because I don't like putting a whole lot of crap in my body. I put enough yeah. alcohol as it is into it. <laughs> but these are like over-the-counter, non-prescription, just, I don't even know the damn name of it, but there's some of them like kind of a relaxers that kind of help with anxiety a little bit. Yeah. I never knew it was anxiety. That I've never, I've never known that. I just knew yeah. that I wind up with this pressure on my chest and I get very quiet. When I get very mm. quiet, that means I'm, I got a lot that I want to just scream yeah. and, and fight. And I wind up holding it all in until I can just decompress and let it out, but it doesn't get taken care of. It sits and it festers and it, it eats away at me from the inside. So yeah. I wind up these anxiety pills a little bit more and like i said they're they're just over the counter you can buy them at cvs type of stuff and i she she's just recently started saying you know what allow yourself to be in those environments in which yeah. your kids are jumping and recognize it and yeah. try to see it a little bit more maybe that can help and it's like one of those Maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't, but yeah. we won't know until you try it. And now it is a controlled environment. That's the biggest yeah. part for me. I can't yeah. lose yeah. control. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things that that have been really helpful for me, you know, and I've seen a therapist as well. The one thing is that it's I think it's important to think about therapy and finding a therapist as just like you do dating. Right. Yes. And so you're, yeah. you're not going to just go on a date with someone and be like, all right, I'm stuck with you for, for, for the forever. It's I like, think that's no. how it worked in my marriage, but I will. I, <laughs> I well, I'm saying dating, right? It's like on the first date, right? You're like, well, we, we've been on a date. So, we're, you know, a lot of times people will find that someone will say, oh, you should go to this person and that person. And they go and they're like, I'm not really sure. So I don't like them. So I don't like therapy. It's right. like saying, I, you know, and, and that's not the way it works. It takes it can take time to find the right person. For me, it was the right mix of asshole and smart. <laughs> I needed someone who, who was you know, going to tell me I was being an, yeah, I, was, I needed somebody who was going to tell me I was being a dumbass and wasn't going to sugarcoat it. Be like, okay, kid. you know, he's like, come on, man. He's like, you know what's, you know what I mean? I needed somebody who was going to be like that, but also um, knew what they were talking about and could like really push me. And so that's yeah. the first thing. The second thing is that, we, and, and you're saying this is that we often try to solve the problem when it's happening and that's way too late. Yeah. If you're we, very if, right. you know, if we, you know, like for me example, I've had all sorts of triggers in my life. Right. And, and my reaction isn't usually anger. It's, it's like, I get really internal. I get really sad, lose control of my emotions, all that sort of thing. The first time it happened to me, the first time I felt like I was drowning in my emotions, I was sitting at a bar and I'm like looking at people talking and I'm like, my concentration is off. I can hear them one second and then I cannot hear them. Next thing I know, I'm like crawled up in a ball and I'm crying in a bar, you know, it's like in that first moment, I was like, what the, what's going on here? Like what, like, why can't I bring all this together? And it took 
a long time for me to start to see the signs, right? Okay, so the first time it happened, I didn't know it was happening until two days later when I was like, oh, shit, that, that happened. And then the next time it happened, it was like five seconds before those emotions hit me. I was like, oh, shit, I think it's going to happen again. The third time, it was like two minutes. I was like, oh, shit, I remember this feeling. I think I'm about to... I need to remove myself from, you know, and then the more it it happens, the more I could sort of focus on the, how my reaction was happening and, and predict it, you know? And so if we try to solve our problems in the moment, it's too late. We need to take time when we are surrounded by people we love and, you know, feel connected to reality to say, okay, I know that these sorts of things make me or trigger me to have a negative reaction. What am I going to do next time? What is it about that? Where, what, you know, and like you talked about before that list, don't just jumble it all up in your head, but actually sit down and talk about it or write it down in a way that you can be precise about it and deal with it. And, and that's how I've uh, sort of worked my way through it. That's, that's, that's a great way to, to be handling everything. And it's, it's a very, you know, a lot of the unhealthy ways has, has found its way into my path in which I would, I would, like I said, I would go numb, you know, and the only way to go numb in my house is you just go ahead and drink it on down. Uh, There was, there was, sadly, there was one day I had just opened a bottle of Jack Daniels and after, hell, I don't even remember it, but I wound up going to pour another glass at one point and there was very little left. I was, I had to go and check with my wife. I was like, Hey, did you drink some? And she does not drink liquor like that at all. Like, did you drink some of the Jack Daniels? And at that point, when she gave me that look, I was like, shit. Yeah. I need to figure something out. Cause it like, like we were saying that constant vigilance, it's so hard to power down, power down and actually go to sleep. Yeah. So we would wind up the best thing to do, just feel numb and you don't feel yeah. it anymore. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. now I'm good. I'm relaxed. And it's not okay to do that. It, yeah. it can really damage your body and yeah. it can really damage a lot more than, than we can think of. For the book plug, it's called I'll Go by Alex Thompson. You can find it on Amazon. It is fantastic. If you want to get in contact for, with Alex to try and get an autographed copy, I'm in. He will. He he autographed my digital copy by just signing my phone. So that was fun. I this this podcast, although this is my very very first podcast, and I I am proud to have a good friend of mine joining me through this uh, journey because Alex himself has his own podcast. If you want to do a quick plug, you are very welcome to, sir. Well, I mean, just one of the other ways you can find me is on my website. It's called thisherolife.com. Thisherolife.com. So plug hey, over. If you guys want to give him a check out, Alex, he'll, he'll have you laughing your butt off. Um, and I wouldn't be a great podcast host if I didn't talk about my wonderful producers of uh, Amber and Amanda, who host Veterans Drinking Vodka, which is another podcast. They have they have probably about 26 episodes. Up. Is that what we call it? Episodes? episodes? Yeah, sure. Sure. I have episodes. That's what I have to episodes. (laughs) She, uh, so they have talked to numerous veterans as well, and they will be producing this one here, which I'm very excited about. And Alex and I are both wearing red because this, this first episode is being dropped on Friday and on Friday we wear red. It's an acronym for remember everyone deployed. And although 
Our veterans, brothers and sisters, and active duty members are always in our hearts downrange. On Friday, we tried to show them a little bit of recognition by wearing some red. This particular shirt is made by Hot Mess, which they wind up donating a lot of their funds to the Battle 22. On the back, it says, sometimes a hot mess, but always first class. It's from the uh, <laughs> Hot Mess group that I'm a member on, on Facebook. It's first class petty officers in the Navy. Really cool group of guys and, and females, obviously. Man, Alex, thank you so very much for joining yeah. me on my very first podcast, brother. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I am very excited to, to see how this turns out. Tune in next week. Same Article 15 time, same Article 15 channel. When we talk to... I don't know how to pronounce his last name, and I feel like a really bad person. Uh, he's a gunnery sergeant who uh, served in the Marine Corps and was at the Battle of Fallujah. Uh, we should be seeing him. So this uh, this podcast is going to be dropping on the 29th, so, and uh, we'll be speaking with him on – my math is terrible, but it would be the beginning of February for the most part. Again, Alex, thank you so very much. Thank you, man. I really appreciate yeah. it. We'll have to do it again, right? For sure, for sure, for sure. And uh, good luck with all of your other stuff, man. And hopefully I can make it down to uh, Kansas, Kansas City. City area sometime, man. And, uh, yes, sir. Check out this wonderful home that I hear or read so much about. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Thanks a lot. All right, brother. Have a good one.